Good morning. Welcome to the Christian Church of Carl Junction. So glad you're with us today, both in this room and online. Glad you gathered with us here. We're kicking off a brand new series called Ashes. For the next couple of months, we're going to be talking about how the glory of the gospel can bring life from what was broken, beauty from what was ashes, and how we can restore God's plan to his creation. We believe every answer to every question we're going to wrestle with comes from this book, from the Word of God. And we believe he's going to speak very clearly to us on that. We're kicking off the series this morning talking about God's solution to racism. It's very clear in the Word of God that we were not meant to be a broken people. In fact, if you look at the very beginning, in Genesis chapter 2, I'm just going to read this to you early on, Genesis 2 It says, the Lord God formed a man from the dust to the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. If I drop down just a a little ways there, it says, the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. While he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place of flesh. And God made a woman from the rib he'd taken out of the man. He brought her to the man. In the beginning, there was one race, one man, one woman, no division, no sin, and no brokenness. That's the way God intended his creation to be. In fact, if we flip to the end of the Bible now, Revelation, this vision that John had of heaven of all of eternity, we read this in Revelation chapter 7. Listen to what John wrote. He said, after this I looked, and there before me, was a great multitude that no one could count. People from every nation, tribe, people, and language. Standing before the throne and before the Lamb, they were wearing white robes, were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. In the beginning, there was one man, one woman, one race, no division, no sin, and no brokenness. And now in the end, in the end, we see that there's one people, one kingdom, one allegiance, no division, no sin, and no brokenness. This is how God intended things to be. This is what God wanted for everything. He wanted us to be one. Yet somehow, some way, For some reason, right here, right now, in the middle, between Genesis 2 and Revelation 7, somewhere in between all of that, we find ourselves living and we discover that we are divided. We're divided. Our nation is divided, our culture is divided, our community is divided, our world is divided. And there's only one explanation for this division. It's what happened in the Garden of Eden when The serpent showed up and he tempted Adam and Eve, the man and the woman, and he broke the unity that God intended for his creation as sin entered the world. Sin, brokenness, selfishness, it doesn't matter what word you use. It's the same thing. Racism is a spiritual issue. It's not a political issue. It's not a social issue. It's not an economic issue, an educational issue. It is a spiritual issue, and it comes from the brokenness of humanity. 
because sin has entered the world. And the only solution to racism that I know of, the only solution I believe exists, comes from the Word of God, from the kingdom of God. Truthfully, the only solution to any type of brokenness comes from the kingdom of God. Specifically today, we're talking about racism. I want to pray with us. I want to pray with you. And then I want to jump into the Bible, and I want to spend time wrestling with how we bring the healing, the reconciliation, the restoration of the kingdom of God to bear in our community, in our world. Let's pray together. Father, I ask that you would speak to us this morning. I pray that you would speak in this worship time right here that we have gathered in to sing praises to you, to acknowledge that you're the king, to pledge our allegiance to you, submit to your will and to your kingdom. And I pray right now you'd speak your words to us, your truth, your hope, your mission, your will. And I pray, Father, we would listen, be convicted by it, we would take it to heart, and we would commit ourselves, devote our lives to seeing your kingdom, your spirit, reconcile a broken world. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. If I am sick, if you get sick, we do similar things. If I get sick, I go to the doctor, and I have a couple questions, really only two questions for the doctor, just two questions. The first question might be, how did I get this? If it's a disease, if it's a, a cancer of sorts, if it's a brokenness, if it's a, a hurt somewhere, how did I get this? What caused this? I want to know so that I don't get it again, so I don't hurt again. I want to know how I got it. But truthfully, that's a quick conversation. That's a, trick, uh, a quick conversation, and, and I get past that very quickly to my second question. My second question is one I'm much more concerned with. The first is, how did I get this? But the second question, the one I'm much more concerned with is, how do I get better? I mean, really, when you go to the doctor, that's your question. How do I get better? How do I get over this? How do I move forward? And that's a question that I'll spend time talking about so that I can leave that office, that room, with a plan for how I can heal my body, how I can be made healthy again, and I can go through, whether it's a, a medicine or a treatment or a surgery or a rehab or whatever it is, I want to know how to be healed. This morning, we could spend all of our time and we could talk about history, and we could we'd discuss how we came to the place we're at with racism in our nation, in our culture, in our world. We could talk about all of that. But really, what I would rather us do is acknowledge that it exists, that it's here, and let's spend our time talking about how we get healthy. How do we heal? How do we see Jesus reconcile lives together? That's what we're going to do the bulk of our time today. If you have a Bible, I'd love for you to turn in your Bible with me to Jonah chapter 1. Jonah chapter 1, it's going to be on the screens around me too. If you don't own a Bible in the room here at the Next Steps table, I would love to give you a blue Bible so you can take this home with you. If you're online right now, I'd love for you to, to message right now, email right now and say, I need a Bible and we'll get one to you before next Sunday. We want you to have the Word of God. In Jonah chapter 1, we're going to read through here from the very first verse to the very last verse of the Bible, I'm a, or of the book of Jonah. We're going to skip around just a little bit. You have to know that Jonah's job, his life, his everything he does is wrapped up in serving God. He's a prophet. 
He listens for God to speak, and then he turns around and applies that word and relays that word to the people around him. That's what Jonah does. In Jonah chapter 1, verse 1, this is what it says. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. Go to the great city of Nineveh, he says, and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. God's plan, his will, hope, has always been the same. It's to restore a broken creation back to himself. In fact, we're told in the Old Testament that his people, his nation of Israel, he chose them not because they were the best out there, but he chose them so that they would be a light to the rest of the world, to the rest of the nations, a beacon of hope to them, and that they would see God through the people of Israel. God's plan's always been to send his people into the world to bring light and hope out of the world. It's always been his plan. Here at this church, we say we want to come, thrive, and go. We want to come to Jesus and worship, thrive as a family, and go on mission. Well, Jonah is the exact same. He would come to worship. He would thrive in the community, and then he would go. And when he was listening to the Lord in Jonah 1, verse 1 and 2 here, he heard God very clearly tell him, go. Go. Now, if I walk in here and I'm asking God, speak to me, God, and I hear a voice from God say, Adam, go. I'm going to go. It's what I want to do because I've asked and I've submitted myself to that voice. But, but Jonah, in verse 3, it says, but Jonah ran away from the Lord. He, he ran away. God said, go. And Jonah said, no. That simply. God said, go. And Jonah said, no. God said, Jonah, you go to these people, these Ninevites, they're not Jews. They're not like you. They have a different religious system than what you have. They have a different ethnic culture than what you have. They look different. They have a different language. They talk different. Go to this other culture. Go to Nineveh and preach the message that I have given you to tell them. Go. And Jonah says, no. I really don't want that. I want to stay where I'm comfortable. I want to stay with people I know. I want to stay where it's easy. I don't want to go where it's risky. So Jonah says, no. And let me, let me paraphrase what happens next. In case you haven't read this event before in this, the book here. What happens next is Jonah says no when God says go. And then he decides to go and hide. He's not running away from Nineveh. He's not running away from his neighbors or his job or his worries or his fears. He's running away from God. And so he decides to get on a boat because he thinks he can sail away from God, which doesn't work very well. He's going to a place called Tarshish, going across the, the water, and out in the middle of it, a storm comes up, and the sailors, these professional seasoned sailors get worried. Now, when you're on a boat and you see the crew getting worried, that's when you know it's time to figure a plan out. He, they get worried. What are we going to do? We're going to capsize. We're going to sink. We're going to shipwreck. It says they were casting lots trying to figure out who caused this, whose fault is this. And Jonah goes to them and says, you don't need to do that. I can tell you right now what the problem is. It's me. God told me to go. I said no. That's the problem. He says if you want to 
live, throw me over the side of the boat. And these sailors, they say, well, Jonah, we live our lives on the water. Do you know what's going to happen? Jonah says, I know. So they take Jonah, they, they throw him over the side of the boat, and as soon as he cleared the side of the boat, the storm died. The storm died. And Jonah hit the water, and it tells us here in, in Jonah, in, in this book, that God sent a great fish to swallow Jonah in the water. Now, we could debate and discuss the science behind all that, but I choose to believe that if the Bible is true, then all the Bible is true, so God did this somehow, some way, because he's the creator of everything. He made a great fish to come and swallow Jonah. So this fish came along and swallowed Jonah, and Jonah was now inside the belly of the fish for three days and for three nights. He spent time in here. And he had, while he was inside the fish, he had what I would call a come-to-Jesus moment, and he was praying and saying, I don't want to die. I don't know what I've done. If you'll give me a second chance, then I will go, and I will do what you told me to do. And so God sent the great fish to the shore and had the fish vomit Jonah. Isn't that a tasty thought? Vomit Jonah up on the shore, and Jonah got to then walk to Nineveh to do his job. It says in chapter 3, if you jump there with me, verse 1, says the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time because God is the God of second chances even when you tell him no. Came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Same thing. God didn't change. God didn't make it any easier. God didn't do anything different. Go proclaim it. What I tell you. So Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh, next verse. Now Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. It's a big city. Jonah's on foot. It took three days to go through it. So Jonah began by going one day's journey into the city and proclaiming, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Now, Jonah does this for a living. I'm going to tell you, if, if this were me and God told me to go and I said no and I ended up in a fish and the fish vomited me out and I walked out away from the shore saying that wasn't fun and I'm going to go obey God now and I get to Nineveh, he tells me to go in and proclaim the message. I, I write sermons for a living. It's what I do and I, I'm going to, okay, God's message is you need to repent. That means to change the way you think. You need to change the way you live. And here's some illustrations. Here's some thoughts. Because I'm going to walk into that city, and I'm going to preach the best message I can possibly preach because of what I just experienced. And God made a believer out of me. But Jonah, see, he walks up in the city. Walks one day into the city. He says, 40 days, you're going to die. That's it. Now, maybe he said more words, but they're not written down for us, and in the book of Jonah, there's other stuff written down. I would have thought if Jonah said more words that were important, it would have been written here for us. And 40 days, you're going to die. Jonah just seems a little half-hearted to me. It just seems like he's not really all, all in. He, he didn't come out of the fish with two enthusiastic thumbs up and walk off into the city to go proclaim this message. He came out of the fish. said, I'm going to go do the bare minimum. And he went off half-hearted because I believe from reading this text that Jonah did not care about the Ninevites. In fact, I believe from reading history there's a good chance that Jonah did not like the Ninevites. In fact, he probably hated the Ninevites. There were wars in the past 
exiles in the past and problems in the past, and he probably hated everything the Ninevites stood for. And so when God says, go to a people that don't look like you, that don't sound like you, that don't talk like you, go there, they don't think like you, but you go there anyway, and you tell them the message I proclaim to you. Jonah walks in and half-heartedly says, 40 days, you're going to die. And he walked out. God said to go. He didn't say no this time. But he didn't want to. He went begrudgingly. The next verse says, miraculously, somehow, some way, the Ninevites believed God. Somehow they believed God. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. Drop down to verse 10. It says, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented, and he did not bring on them the destruction that he had threatened. This is cause for celebration, right? Because God's promise is true. God's promise is true. No matter who you are, what you've done, where you come from, what you look like, what your past is, what your culture is, no matter what, if you will confess that you're a sinner, if you will change your thinking from accepting sin to rejecting it, if you'll submit yourself to my kingdom, I'll rescue you. God's promise has always remained true. Old Testament, New Testament, and today. People who are far from God come to terms with the fact that they are broken. They change their thinking and they are rescued over and over and over again. The Ninevites believed God and he relented in his punishment of them. That's reason to celebrate, right? And not for Jonah. Because remember, Jonah didn't really want the Ninevites to be saved. Jonah didn't really care about the Ninevites. In fact, in chapter 4, verse 1, the very next verse says, but jo- to Jonah, but to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. Because Jonah is wrapped up in Jonah's life. Jonah is wrapped up in Jonah's experience. In fact, if Jonah lived today and he were to speak and maybe post on social media, he would want to share his truth with you. You've heard that statement, that ridiculous statement. Uh, uh, let me speak my truth. No, no, just speak God's truth. True is true, right? But to Jonah, and his feelings, his emotions seem very wrong. He, he doesn't want the Ninevites to be saved. He doesn't want them to be rescued. He became very angry. He doesn't want to follow God's heart. He wants to follow his own heart. He got very angry. And he prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? I tried to forestall this by fleeing to Tarshish. He knew he couldn't stop God. He just wanted to stall him. He just wanted to stall so as many Ninevites as possible could die. So I fleed to Tarshish. He knew what God was. He knew God's character. He just didn't like it. He says, I knew, God, that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sin and calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life. It's better for me to die than to live. Jonah's a little dramatic as well. He says, God, if you're going to rescue people that I don't like, 
If you're going to rescue people that don't look like me, if you're going to rescue people that don't talk like me or think like me, I'd rather just die. But the Lord replied, Is it right for you to be angry? You see, Jonah had been trained by his culture to see the outside and not the inside. Jonah had been trained by his culture to see the exterior and ignore the interior. Jonah had been trained to see Jews and everybody else. Jonah had been trained to see people that were deserving of God and everybody that needed to die. In 1 Samuel 16, the prophet goes to choose a king and David is the one to be chosen. He's the youngest brother and he has some impressive older brothers and none of them are chosen and God tells the prophet, he says, I don't see like you see. I look at the inside, not the outside. In God's kingdom, we don't look at the outside, we look at the inside. But you and me, we've been trained by our culture to see the outside. To see the color. Doesn't matter what color we are, we see the color of somebody else. We're trained to see the flaws, the mistakes the accents, the failings, the differences, and write people off that way. We've been trained by our culture. And this is a spiritual issue. But God says look at the inside, not the outside. We need to look at other people. If we're going to follow Jesus, there's two commands. Love God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. And the second one is to love your neighbor as yourself. We have to understand that if God made me and if God made you, and he made you in his image, like in Genesis it tells us, he makes us in his image, that means that he makes our neighbor in his image too. And racism will not flourish when we realize that our neighbor bears God's image just like we do. Racism will not flourish when we realize that our neighbor bears God's image. And we see the interior, not the exterior. See, Jonah doesn't want to go to Tarshish because he doesn't want to see things differently. But in the kingdom of God, when we fling open the doors of the kingdom of God as wide as we can, and we realize there is no hierarchy of status any longer, there are simply people who follow Jesus and people who need to follow Jesus. There are simply people who are made in God's image. When we do that and we see people differently, we see the inside, we see the image that they bear, whether they realize it or not. In that moment, racism is replaced by compassion. And bigotry is replaced by empathy. And callousness is replaced by love. But Jonah can't see that. Our culture can't see that. 
back to the text in verse 5 it says Jonah had gone out he sat down at a place east of the city there he made himself a shelter sat in shade he waited to see what would happen to the city Jonah just wants to see the fireworks he just wants to see the destruction and, and I wonder if he's waiting to celebrate it but then the Lord God provided a leafy plant made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant. See, God let this plant grow up and shade him so he wouldn't be hot, so he wouldn't be uncomfortable. And it made Jonah really happy because Jonah is really wrapped up in how Jonah feels. He's really wrapped up in Jonah. It's all he really cares about. And, and he's comfortable. He's happy about the plant. Next verse says, though, but at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant and so it withered. And the sun rose, and God provided a scorching east wind. I love that it says God provided a worm, and God provided a wind. God provided a way for Jonah to begin to get out of where he's comfortable, to see things differently, so God can make a point, and he can change Jonah. I love that God provided it. It didn't just happen on accident. God provided a scorching east wind. The sun then blazed on Jonah's head, so he grew faint. He's having a hard day. And he wanted to die, because he's a little dramatic. He wanted to die, and he said, it would be better for me to die than to live. Again, he says the same thing again. But God says then to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry? Remember earlier? Remember earlier when Jonah went into Nineveh? He proclaimed the message, and the people believed. People that Jonah had written off. And he kind of wanted to see punished, but they believed. And God says, is it right for you to be angry? Remember that? And Jonah got mad about it. Well, now God's provided a plant and a worm and a wind. And now God says, Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? God loves object lessons, doesn't he? Is it right for you to be angry about the, the plant? I just, in my mind, I, I think Jonah kind of whines the next sentence. It is. He whines. And I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, You have been concerned about this plant. Though you did not tend it or make it grow, it sprang up overnight and died overnight. Jonah, you had no investment in this plant at all. You didn't put anything into it. You didn't plant it. You didn't tend it. You didn't watch it. You didn't water it. Jonah, you have nothing tied up in this plant, but you're really concerned about it. Jonah, you have nothing invested in the plant, but you're really concerned about it. You, you just sat down and it happened here, and you were glad, coincidentally, that it was here. It says, Jonah, he says, should I not, in verse 11, he says, should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who bear my image, but cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? Jonah, shouldn't I be concerned about them? Shouldn't I be concerned about them? You're mad about a plant that you have no investment in. Why are you so concerned about the plant, but you don't think the people matter? Jonah, you've got it all wrong. God says to Jonah, don't be so concerned about a plant because there are things that actually matter. 
Don't be concerned about what makes you uncomfortable or inconvenienced because there are things that actually matter. Don't be concerned about that anymore. I wonder. Sometimes I wonder if I, and maybe you, are guilty of getting so wrapped up in our own experience and what's right in front of us and what provides us convenience and ease that we forget about the fact that God made everybody else. See, I used to think, I used to think that it was enough for me to have friends that are different colors than me, different genders than me, different ethnicities than me, and different cultures than me. And it was enough for me to have friends like that and just to kind of go on living my life. But I've changed my thinking, and I now believe that it is my job and my duty, and yours as well as a follower of Jesus, as a member of the kingdom of God, it is our job, it is our duty as Christians to publicly, humbly, and boldly stand against racism. And it is our duty, it is my duty and my job to not be concerned about a plant that gives me comfort. It is not my job, my duty to be concerned about the drama in my life that is temporary and only lasts a little while and then it's gone and it means nothing and I can spend all my time complaining about my job or my neighbors or my things or whatever makes me uncomfortable. I can spend all my time judging people who don't look like me and aren't like me and all that. That's not enough. It's not good. I was made to bear God's image. I was rescued by a God who specializes in reconciliation, and I was sent to publicly, humbly, and boldly stand against racism. Why? Not because I just want to have fun standing against stuff. I do it because I am for people, even the Ninevites, even people with different color hands than me, even people with different cultural values than me. Because God is for them too. And so I proactively, publicly, humbly, and boldly embrace them and stand against the division that should not exist in creation. See, Jonah, we started off by reading here in Jonah 1 where since the word of the Lord came to Jonah and God said go and I said right there if I came into a place and I came into a place and I said God speak to me tell me what you would like me to have and to know and he were to tell me to go and to, to go to Nineveh I'd be like okay I'm going to do it because I heard God speak to me and if by chance I, I failed in that and then I ended up in a moment I had to come to Jesus moment and he says to a second time go and I would go do that thing and if he said it I would do it just want to remind you 
God's sent his son. He sent his son into a culture that was not white and did not speak English or American. He grew up and he died for you to look different than him. And he resurrected to rescue you, although you look different than him because God loved the whole world. And then right before Jesus returned to heaven, he says to his followers and to you, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. Therefore, go. It's the exact same word that God told Jonah. Therefore, go. Make disciples of all nations. And the word that he said for nations quite literally means people of all ethnicities. Therefore, go. Make disciples of all ethnicities. You teach them everything I've taught you. You baptize them. And invite them and help them enter the family of God. And enter the kingdom of God. And then they can go. Declare the message I have given you, which is this. God so loved the entire world, and when he says the entire world, he means people of all ethnicities and all cultures. God so loved them, he sent his son to die for them too. So you go and you reconcile people. If God showed up and said, go to Nineveh, would you go? Because he's already showed up and he said, go to Carl Junction and go to Joplin and go to your work and go to your neighborhood. Go. Go. heard that so many times and I've said no not today I'm just going to stay where I'm comfortable church I'm calling on you if you want to see the beauty rise from the ashes if you want to see creation reconciled from brokenness then you go Take the message of reconciliation and hope and love and compassion with you to all people, no matter what they look like. There's no defense for racism. Not logically, not scientifically, not politically, not, not nationally. There's no defense. If you're a member of the kingdom of God, you go. You don't go half-hearted. You don't go quickly. You go. And you embrace those you pass. And you bring them into the family with you. Because like John said, in his vision, there's going to come a day that we're going to look and we're going to see there before us a great multitude that no one can count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. And they're all crying out, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. There's coming a day when there will be one people, one kingdom, one allegiance with no division and no sin and no brokenness. And the only way we get there is through the kingdom of God. So the solution to racism is flinging open the doors of the kingdom as wide as possible. The solution to racism is the Great Commission. You go and you love 
and you embrace. And someday you'll stand before the throne of God as part of one nation, one kingdom, one allegiance, crying out salvation belongs to our God. If you've never followed Jesus, I want to invite you today to do that, to follow the Jesus that rescues people that don't look like him. I want to invite you to follow a perfect Jesus that rescues people who are imperfect. If you're in the room and you want to follow Jesus today, as we sing in a moment, I'll be at the next step in the lobby. I'd love to talk with you and to pray with you right there about how you can be baptized into Jesus and you can follow him starting today. If you're online, then send a message right now or put a comment. So I just want to follow Jesus and we'll walk with you and pray with you and talk with you along the way. For all of us, though, that have been following Jesus for any amount of time, for a long time or for just a few minutes even, if you've been following Jesus, if you're a member of the kingdom, then God has one word for you today. And the word is go to a people who don't look like you, but they bear the same image of God that you bear. You go to a people who don't think like you, but they bear the same mind of God that you have. You go and you spread the message he's given you that he loves all people let's pray father god i ask this morning i ask that you would be speaking to our hearts that every word we've read from scripture would be true and that we would see the truth of it and we would not we would not let our own personal experience get in the way of your universal, eternal truth. But Father, I pray we would follow you. And we would spread your message of reconciliation and love and hope everywhere we go. Father, I pray that this church right here would begin to look more like what we see in Revelation 7. And I pray that as your church does, as we as followers, and as this church begins to look more like Revelation 7, that sees people, the image you put inside of them, instead of the outside, when we see the, the, the potential inside of them, instead of the flaws on the outside of them, and we invite people to join us around your throne, crying out, salvation belongs to you, God. I pray that as this church begins to look more like Revelation 7, I pray we'd see our community begin to look more like your kingdom too and I pray Father that just like Jesus prayed when he was teaching us he said your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven I pray that would be true here that your kingdom would come and your will be done in us and through us and around us on earth as it is in heaven I pray Father that you would speak to us we would hear you and we would go. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand. Let's sing one more song as we respond to the Father.